Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. This is episode number 30 of our live show on YouTube channel, Michigan Deer Camp. Me, Dan, and Eric uh, got on the, the podcast and kind of talked about our experience in Michigan. Uh, talked about the doe I shot, some of the successes we had, and also some of the struggles of hunting in Michigan. Don't want to miss it. There's also a whole bunch of good questions that came up on this podcast from Oxbows to hunting in, in uh, areas where there's a lot of people and houses, um, buck bedding, all kinds of good stuff. So uh, don't forget to go over to the YouTube channel uh, and subscribe to Before the Echo. Uh, that would help me out a whole bunch. Uh, thanks, guys, for all the support. Also, go and follow me on Instagram. I have a decent Instagram <laughs> page that I'm trying to grow. Uh, and love for you guys to go over there and see that content as well. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back hey. to the show. Uh, long, long time no see, everybody. We, we kind of messed up and missed a week last week uh, just due to hunting and traveling and all that kind of stuff. But, Who's uh, the weird we looking are. guy with the beard on the right? Oh, yeah. We got a we got a uh, third co-host uh, for this episode. Uh, Eric's gonna talk to us this uh, this hey, week. Eric. Hey, how was everybody you, tonight? Good, 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 good. How are you? Did you go hunting tonight? I didn't make it all tonight. Uh, work restrictions. Oh dang! Well, gotta gotta work on that. You boss, you're boss. You're gonna have to work on the yeah. yell at yell at your boss about your hours. Yeah, I was supposed to call in and take the day off today, but he said, nope, got to go to work. So. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that happens when you're your own boss, you get a little in over your head. Right. But, oh, well, no, uh, you went last night, though, didn't you? I did make it out last night. Yep. You see anything um, last night? I didn't see anything, and uh, I kind of made a mistake because I had a certain bed that I wanted to haunt. And uh, I just wasn't feeling too confident with the way the wind was playing. And um, on the way out, I can actually pick his exit trail up. So I decided to pick up one of his exit trails on the way out of the woods. And uh, I picked up on some extremely fresh uh, scat. I mean, it was it was laid down that evening. So um, I really should have just sat my spot. But uh I think you guys know what it feels like when you sit in a spot and you're not feeling confident, you know, in yeah. that spot. So um, I moved on and I uh, I did a little scouting on my way in and got onto some different hot sign and I didn't have anything come out. So hmm. yeah, but you'll have that. It's hunting, so right for sure. Yeah, I had a uh, I had a pretty good set last night, so. Obviously, you guys saw I killed one last night with a longbow, but uh, we're not we're not going to get into a whole lot of details on it yet because uh, we're going to probably get on another podcast or another show here pretty soon and uh, specifically talk about that one on a um, on a separate show because we had a whole week and almost a whole week in in Michigan that us three were running around up there in Michigan. That's what we want to talk about tonight. So. Uh, Anyway, um, before we start, though, if you guys uh, don't know how it works, if you're new to the, the show here, just in the comments section, just leave a, leave your questions in the comments and then um, we'll get to them at the end of the podcast or as many as we uh, can. And then also 
I will put a link in the comments uh, here after bit to call in if you want to if you want to get on to the the show and ask a question live. Um, also, don't forget to like and subscribe. I'm going to take this uh, this layer off here because you can't see anybody Eric's name, but uh, my little. Um, let's see if I can remove it here. There it is. There, that's better. Now you can see Eric, <laughs> Eric's name at least. Um, but yeah, if you, if you guys like what we're doing, make sure you subscribe. That really helps. Make sure you hit the like button that tells, tells YouTube that, uh, it's a good video to recommend. And then the, the snowball gets, uh, rolling with, with YouTube on that kind of stuff. But we got a bunch of people on tonight. So, um, anyway, I'm trying to think. Oh, let's, before we talk about mission, let's talk about what we got going on this week, Dan. Um, just so oh. we don't forget. Yeah, the Battle of the Bows. So yep. uh, we got a beast challenge going on. It's going to be in Hill Country. And we are going to uh, an area that's pretty rich in good bucks. So I'm hoping that um, some good bucks get killed. We got a pretty big size crew going. Yeah. Um, who all we got going? Uh, I think Mario's going to make an appearance. Ricky's going to be there. Yep. Um, um, we're going to. Uh... YouTube channel, the stick boys are coming. They're kind of representing the traditional archery group there. Crossbow magazine. What's his name? Do you remember? Todd, Todd, something. I can't remember his last name. Bromley is it? Yeah. Something like that. Todd Bromley. Uh, yep. Um, and, uh, we picked somebody from the, um, one of the viewers at films. Yep. Savannah. I was in contact with her, uh, today. So we're all good there. Savannah's coming. Savannah outdoors on YouTube. Um, who else? I think that's it, right? I don't think we're forgetting mm -hmm. anybody. That sounds like all of them. Tim, Tim's uh, going to be there. Going, yeah. I don't want to forget anybody, but yeah. we're going to have a pretty big crew. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what we're going to do is just, um, turn everybody loose and they can go where they want. The rule is they have to make it back to camp every evening. And, um, uh, it should be fun. Everybody's got to film and, We'll put together a show afterwards, and I love these challenges. So for me, that's uh, that's a cool way to hunt. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm so, excited. Uh, I've never any, hunted over there. If it goes the way it's been going, Josh will kill everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Tim, Tim reminded me just now that Uncle Lou is coming also. So there's another uh, guy that'll try to kill everything. He will kill everything uh, he sees. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. Whatever's in season. <laughs> that guy's a killer. Whatever's in season. Yeah. Whether it be grouse or uh, turkey or deer, it's all fair game. So. It's fun to have him ar uh, along because he gives us so much cell strip. We get to, you know, make tents out of it. We get to uh, yeah. Yeah. fix our cars. All right. R rolls and rolls of cell strips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, uh, Lou was on the other, uh, last, last episode and people love whenever he gets on, he's just a hoot to listen to talk. Uh, I had a few, yeah, we should have just an episode where he gets on and we shoot the, the bull with him. Um, but yeah, that'll be, uh, that'll be probably, you know, well, we're going to probably get the Michigan videos up and then get up, get the, uh, the battle of the bows videos will come after that. So. That's all probably in the next couple of weeks. You guys get to look forward to all that content coming to the channel. And it'll be a bunch of content. I know Michigan will be 
be be a good video too. So yeah, it's it's anyway. kind of it's kind of good that you um, got that Indiana buck down because now you might have a little more bit more time for editing. Yeah, I, oh, me, I mean it's really hard for me to keep up with my editing with hunting. Oh yeah, yeah, I can imagine, especially when you're working, you know, whatever, ten hour eight or ten hours. Yeah. Um, how much time will, stop. How much time will you really have though, Josh? Because you got Wisconsin coming up. And then you have a Michigan tag as well that you can fill now. Yeah. So. Oh, I'll, I'll have time. I'll, <laughs> I'll make time for it. Uh, Maddie wants to, she's um, pretty excited about me having a, or not having a tag so I can take her and get her a buck. So that's something we can nice. work on. But she can't. Oh, yeah, that would be a great video too. Yeah. She can't hunt. You know, she she works until um, about 4.30. So she can't really hunt during the week very, very easily. But. Um, so it won't be a whole bunch of hunts, but yeah. Um, and she probably won't, won't be too picky. So and your boy will get some time with grandma, get some ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. Milkshakes. Yeah. <laughs> he got one. He got one today. So, uh, right. yeah. Yeah. There's not a shortage of those over there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's something. And I may go over to Ohio too, uh, maybe during the rut, like before our gun season starts or something like second weekend of november maybe i think ohio's gun season comes in late if anybody's from ohio let me know um i think it's i think it's late i think their gun season's like in december so i may help over to ohio and hunt in, during november sometime because i kind of got that hunting license bought already i just got to buy the deer tag um and i don't know maybe if i don't kill a buck uh this week in wisconsin maybe i'll buzz up there instead uh, Ohio is just a lot closer. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, Michigan, let's talk about Michigan now. Uh, I wanted to see what, what did you guys, what, see, you guys are more familiar with Michigan than I am. Cause Eric, I think you've hunted Michigan before, at least in the UP and the Dan's obviously yeah. hunted Michigan and, mm-hmm. and I'd driven through the place for work, but I never really spent significant amount of time there. Um, what were your guys' like? expectations up there and were they like different than what we saw when we we got up there uh for me i mean uh i didn't know really what to expect i i really went to to support the deer hunter podcast uh kevin wanted us to go um he was putting it on um and uh we're friends with him so we said okay we'll go and uh i kind of expected it to be more rugged big woods um i think i thought it had bigger hills that yeah. really didn't seem that hilly to me there everybody described it to me as is part hill country i didn't see that um but uh it was pretty different from one end to the other on one side where we hunted it was more uh wooded and broken up by roads intensely i mean you couldn't walk a quarter mile without hitting a road on the one end and on the other end, you could get back a couple miles in some spots. Yeah. Um, I was really amazed by the amount of elk and the amount of elk sign. Um, and uh, trying to differ that from whitetail sign was harder than I thought. A lot of the um, the elk seemed to, um, the small elk seemed to rub trees like big bucks do, which in the same height range. But I just got to keep reminding myself there are no bucks that big in Michigan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not where we were at. 
Yeah. Uh, Kevin uh, Leach at, uh, from Latitude, he shot like a, what was it, Dan? Maybe a 70-inch six-pointer, 65-70-inch yeah, six-pointer. Um, yeah. And, and it was and, a, uh, a two-year-old, too. I mean, that same buck here would probably be pushing, you know, 100 to 115 inches, you know? Yeah. And Maybe that's what bigger. I asked a couple people that were from around there. I said, like, what is, what's that compared to? And he's like, oh, it'd be like if you shot like a, you know, 140 in Kansas or something. That's a nice deer, you know, around here. Um, so if that tells you the, um, yeah, deer hunting Cajuns. Yeah. Like a 130 or 140 would be a huge buck up there. And Kevin got an even bigger one. It's just that we didn't get to see it because, uh, he didn't track yeah. it until we left. Yeah. Kevin from the deer hunter podcast got a, uh, Saturday night. He killed a nice, a nice buck. Yeah, did you guys hear the latest on that? Did he end up going back out Sunday morning and finding that? Yes, he, he did. did. Yes, yeah, he did. and it, it, it was right wasn't, where he off. Yeah, it wasn't very far from where he, he found it right away, essentially. And it was bigger than the six pointer. It had brows. Okay, that's good to hear. Good for him. Yeah. Um, what about you, oh, Eric? I take that back. It was it was also a six pointer, but it had brows. Right. Kevin's didn't have. Okay. Kevin Leach from Latitude. He his didn't have brows, and then. Right. Uh, yeah. Kevin from the, uh, the other Kevin had uh, brows, but he didn't have the G3. He's, or he's a clean six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So as far as terrain base in uh, Michigan, where we were, um, as you had mentioned, Josh, I'm used to uh, hunting in the UP. Um, so I had imagined when we went to uh, northern and lower Michigan, I expected the terrain to be essentially the same. Um so there's a lot of big swamp in UP, um, and, and and the forest that I hunt is a little more uh, coniferous with uh, pines and cedars, um, with creeks running through them. So that was kind of the terrain that I expected to uh, come across. But um, you know, once we started doing a little exploring by truck. Uh, um, cutting tracks and, and stopping on roads and trying to figure out where deer are bedding. Uh, it was, it was pretty surprising to me as much as, as we had scouted. I mean, we put a lot of miles on last week. We probably put, you know, between 15 and 20 miles on. And, um, a lot of the walking we did, we thought we would be getting close to some bedding. And, and as you moved your way on, it just got to be, um, open terrain and more open terrain. Um, so a lot of that, a lot of that big woods was, was kind of, uh, laid out that way. So it was kind of tough to figure out where betting was in, in that certain terrain anyway. Um, now, of course, once we started pushing in the swamps a little bit, now we started to get onto deer a little more. Um, so, but that was my expectation going in was to have somewhat similar terrain to, uh, the UP, which where I'm used to. So was a how much different is where we were at in Michigan to like northern Wisconsin, or is it kind of similar uh, terrain and uh, all that? You know, it's it, it kind of depends where you go in the state. Um, it can differ from uh, mass hardwoods to uh, swamp to uh, you have your conifer forests. Um, so it really depends where you are. Um, there, I, I would say it's pretty similar for the most part. 
Um, I just felt that northern lower Michigan, it just seemed like a lot more open terrain than what I'm used to. So yeah, I saw that too. I think it was because of the sand, sandy soil. A lot of places, uh, you, you know, you get out in the woods and there'd be like areas void of trees. Yeah. Where, I mean, I mean, everything here is just thick. The ferns. I mean, how many ferns did we see? I mean, I'm not saying to put a number on it, but at the forest floors were just covered in ferns. You know, a lot of the places we looked which doesn't hold good uh, deer habitat. You know, there's not browse, there's not bedding in that stuff. You may occasionally uh, kick a doe or something out of some of those ferns, but um, that's what kind of made it tough in that specific terrain that we were uh, doing some scouting in, so. Yeah, the thing that got me was, um, you know, I. I didn't really have much of an expectation. I would say like the terrain features wise. I mean, I, I studied maps a whole bunch, um, but I really had no idea what I was going to get into as far as what, what it would look like up there. Um, but I thought we would see a lot more deer than uh, what we did. There wasn't, there just wasn't that exactly. many exactly. deer running around. I didn't see a deer the whole trip. Yeah. Well, not while hunting. Right. Um, yeah. While hunting. Which uh, I, I thought I'd get on them right away. I thought that would be a piece of cake to get on deer. I thought, you know, maybe getting a big buck might be hard, but I'd get on deer pretty quick, I thought. Yeah. Was a uh, did you think that just because of your experience in Michigan when you're on the public land challenge and how many deer you guys are seeing there? Um I just always heard to have good quantities of deer up there and Yeah. I just thought if I could get in, in you know, find the pockets of deer because I know Big Woods is usually pockets of deer. You drive through, right. you know, you walk through or look at a lot of areas that don't have deer. And you got to find the concentrations of them in big woods because they're where the food is. Yeah. And we found the food pretty quick. We found uh, oaks that were dropping acorns at one particular elevation. Mm-hmm. And uh, the higher elevations didn't have acorns anymore. Yeah. But the whole oaks were dropping. So one area that was at a certain elevation had white oaks dropping and had mm-hmm. a, a huge concentration of deer. But finding the deer didn't necessarily mean you're going to kill them. And I'm used right. to deer in early season moving very short distances to food. So you think they're right there. And uh, setting up, that obviously wasn't the case because set up on um, both in the swamp and in the um, oaks area, relatively close to the food sources, and the deer were not getting there. In daylight mm-hmm. however in the oaks friends of ours were taking pictures of pretty good sized bucks out eating in open sunlight you know and right. um, so i i kind of expect them to just move to those oaks pretty early especially if they're in a little cover and uh in the oak area it took narrowing it down and finding you, you know we're trying to look for those pockets of terrain that were you'd expect bucks to be like a hard transition of thick. We'd find a swamp on the map and it'd be hard to see what kind of swamp it is. And you go navigate it and it would be so open. You'd be like, nothing with any kind of uh, pride would bed here. You know, and you just kept looking and it kept be more and more the same. And what we found there in that wooded section was that the, uh, the stem count was real important. So where it was real heavy, you know, we had a lot of small trees growing in thick. Mm-hmm. That's where those deer were. But we got into that pretty much in the last day. And my struggle was that um, 
we started in swamp then we went over there and then we went back to swamp and the reason we did that is when we went over there we had heard about some big deer over there went there found a whole bunch of sign got excited spent a whole day scouting over there and we were going to hunt around where this big buck was seen and photographed right and when we came out of the uh from scouting a whole day um two different groups had driven around our trucks parked uh campers and horse trailers and got out and started horse riding and camping there right where we were going to hunt because i guess you can camp anywhere you want in that forest yeah um so my point is is that uh we moved back and forth in those two areas when you and when you're hunting for four days you know it takes some um focus on an area to really understand it and i think uh we divided our focus a little too much by the time we figured them out um where the oak trees were it was the yeah. last day and um eric really got one good sit on that and uh um when we started figuring out where they were in the swamps, it was like right at the end there. And then you got like two good sits on that. And, yeah. Uh, it was just, uh, it, if we would have focused one way or the other, I think we may have done better. Maybe not, but that's the way I feel. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Cause I mean, and also something else is like our two areas we were focusing on were like, what, an hour and 15 minute drive apart. Yeah. Probably. So it was, it was yeah. like, you know, you'd spend so much time traveling to, and, it, and the one spot was an hour from camp. And the, um, and the guys who were successful were walking over the hill from camp, right? Or basically right down the street or something. Mm -hmm. So, right. uh, you, you know, they didn't spend hours driving. Right. And then that, um, yeah, while you guys, while you guys hunted that last evening uh, on the Oaks, and I guess something else to like talk about was like, oaks weren't real falling really good like there was we found a good pocket of them but not every not every white oak had acorns out uh, out there the majority of them didn't um so that was a that was a little bit of a it was at one elevation all the ones that we found that weren't dropping were just a little bit higher yeah yeah all the low ones were um seemed to it was be interesting too i don't know if you noticed but just see how small the acorns were they were tiny yeah, they, yeah, the white oaks were, were small. A lot of them were pretty small. I noticed that as well. In comparison to what we have for acorns here, I don't right. know if it was like a bad year or if that's the way it is up in that sandy soil or something. I bet I, say, I bet it's the soil they have I up there. Yeah, I don't know that I for sure. get on the one spot where I found multiple big buck tracks going across the road in an obvious place, and there is tons of other deer. But at least three or four sets from big bucks. Yeah. Went across a dirt road and heading in. And when you look from that dirt road, you could see a white oak back in the brush. And I went to that white oak and there was piles of feces and rubs and all kinds of sign and heavy trails coming to it. And my focus went on to that that spot to kill. And uh that was our last day, I think. And uh we were gonna go in there and kill that buck, and then we went and searched a whole bunch of other spots started to focus on that thicker stuff then eric found his spot and that thick stuff and uh then we went back and i was going to just go in and figure out what tree to put a stand in over there and we got just a little further and there's a gut pile yeah so uh that obvious spot there somebody else had found it too 
that kind of threw a wrench in things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't see like you um um really dove in deep and uh you might not have had the numbers like in the area where I was looking. Right. Um, but you didn't have all that competition, you didn't have all those wrenches thrown into it, and you could and you could read the terrain easier. It was really hard to read what was going on where I was. Where yeah. I focused the last couple of days here. But where you were, you could read a swamp, you could read an islands, you could read points and stuff. And that's what you focused on. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if I'd have kept with the game plan, both me and Eric and 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 you, all three of us, were kind of shocked when we all picked that area and the same spots in that area, unbeknownst to each other. Yeah. We compared notes. We all had points on the same spots, sixteen miles from camp. Right, it was pretty amazing. It was uh, a that's the area where you started getting into the stuff. But my God, you were walking point eight of a mile, one point two miles on one of the hunts. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I, yeah, I killed my doe about a mile back, which we found a little better way of getting in and out of there. So it was a little shorter than that, but it was still a long a long walk. Oh, yeah, well, there better was a, you got to do it at night there, right? That's right. You might as well just be dragging the dough out of the right. uh, dark swamps. Gosh, I just have to mention this really quick. How funny was it when uh, you and I were dragging your dough? And uh, <laughs> I uh, thought, let's I tell thought, let's tell that story. Let's tell that story after I tell how I shot my okay. dough. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, uh, essentially, Eric and Dan during we we scouted. Uh, the day I shot my doe, which was on a Friday night. Yes, Friday night. We scouted all day Friday. Um, and we kind of found two good spots to set up. And Dan and Eric took those two good spots. And I just took my Damn stand right. on my back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I took my uh, stand on my back and just headed. I was like, I'm, like, I'm going to go to this swamp. It's about a mile walk. And I just had a lot of confidence in going in there. I like doing that anyway. It's one of my favorite ways of hunting uh, when I'm out of state. And anyway... So I got, uh, I crawled back in there, which literally crawled in some places. Um, and there was a really good point in a, in a swamp that's like, and you guys are better at describing swamps than I, than I am, but it's like, a, it was like a grassy cattail type swamp. Um, that's how it, I, it was like, tag. it had, it had a spotty tag in it too. Yeah. 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 Marsh grass. There you go. Whatever. Yeah. You, you Northern people. Uh, <laughs> And there's a there's a really good point, and there was a whole bunch of trails that would come into that come into that point. And I saw that there was good good rubs on that point as well. Um, I scouted one other point; it didn't look as good, so I I kind of circled back to this point and got set up. And I was in a perfect tree. It was like, um, you know, I had cover all around me. There, there's no way a deer could see me. And then, um, you know, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes before dark, uh, four does came uh, appeared in the, in the swamp and, uh, a single big one kind of took a left and went to my left. And then the three other ones went to my right. And as soon as those three other ones went to my right, they got into the woods, um, out of the swamp. And that big doe that went to the left ended up cutting the corner. And then she walked right by me at like 22 yards. And that's, that's when I, I killed her. Um, and it worked out, you know, it worked out real good. And I, uh, I often have some wonders about what would have came in after that. Cause there was some decent rubs back in there. Um, but 
it, it was, I wasn't going to pass up a doe at that point. I had a doe tag and two buck tags and I was going to fill one of them. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's how I ended up killing my doe. She only ran, I don't know, 40 yards and ended up, uh, dying right there. So it worked out real nice. And then, uh, Eric and Dan ended up finding me regardless of no cell phone service. I got on the horn with Eric and told him where I was and they walked pretty much right to me. So that worked out good <laughs> without a map or anything. Uh, but yeah, on the way out, you want to tell the story, Eric? Yeah. So on the way out, Josh and I were, uh, dragging the dough and, um, we had, Dan had cut a stick for us to put, to put on a single roll. So that way it allows two different guys yeah. to drag the sled. And, uh, sometimes the rope would pull over to one side and make it harder for, for one guy to pull, you know, versus the other guy. And I thought at one point, I thought, boy, this is a, this, this deer, it's like, it's just dragging itself. And I'm like, gosh, <laughs> you have all the weight or what's happening. And, uh, and then, uh, we got a little remember Josh saying something like, uh, we're going downhill. It's light for me too. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of when the, but, uh, it was the easiest drag you could ever imagine. <laughs> really, literally just imagine the easiest like thing. 60 yards like that, Josh, before we realized you fell out of the, the sled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it was easy for me and I wasn't going to say anything. It was easy for you and you. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say anything and we ended up walking that's for a when while. I, that's when I realized that if you guys don't even know if the dough is in or not, I could just sit on that dough and take a nap and then take a bite out. <laughs> so I just traveled her. You guys just pulled me out. You know what oh, though? It's, it's it's those little stories like that that make the hunt, right? I mean, we yeah. didn't come away with a buck, but it's it's those little stories that it's um we can say in the future, we can say, Hey, remember this one time when uh, and yeah. it's that's great stuff to talk about. I mean, it's a laugh. Yeah, I'm glad it happened. I uh, I'm glad she it wasn't more than whatever fifty or sixty yards. But yeah, right. Uh, After it, sixty yards, it gets embarrassing. Yeah, it's like this is inconvenient. You know, that was just whatever. We'd already drug her for a mile. Might as well drag yeah. her for. Uh, yeah, that was funny. Yeah, that I was just funny. I just remember hearing Dan go uh, as we were walking back. He's like, Jesus Christ, guys. That's all I remember. That's all I heard him say. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Oh, Oh, no, we were laughing. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) But yeah, uh, we got her back to camp. And then the next day, I kind of dealt with her, and you guys went scouting again. And that's whenever you guys got a little better handle on the spot that had the acorns. Yeah. Um, And uh, and you, you just dove in deep then. Before we get yeah. into that, um, what was interesting with those elk is uh, we were walking around um, next to the elk viewing area scouting, which is where me and Eric ended up hunting the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a lot of traffic and a lot of focus on that from local people. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of deer signs. So we knew there was deer there. And it was just a matter of like, in my mind, well, you know, all I have to do is out hunt everybody else. Those deer are there. They're living under their noses. You just, you know, it's no different than hunting back home. Right. So when we were scouting that, um, we came around a corner and uh, uh, you spotted something. Uh, it's like you, you ran ahead of me. I was walking in the front. You ran ahead <laughs> of me, walked around the corner. And You're lying. Just as, just as I looked down and saw the shed, you, you yelled, Shed! Uh, <laughs> what'd you find? Yeah, we found a uh, 
found an elk shed there right outside the, not too far off the field edge. And what was interesting is uh, it was completely unchewed. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, from this, this spring when it fell, when he dropped one it. Of the, one of the local people was telling me, I told him, I can't believe nobody looked there for a shed. Mm-hmm. And he said those, uh, the smaller elks, which that was a, a small, medium sized one, right? Yeah, it was like a five point bull. Yeah. That yeah, they yeah. uh they drop their sh- their sheds later and people have already quit looking. Oh in a lot of cases is what he said. Um what's funny about that is uh that same day later on, once we ran into those horse people that moved in on our area, mm-hmm. we ran all the way across the yeah. whole area to a whole another place an hour away and dove in we each dove in deep to into the swamp. And I think we kind of went in blind that day. Um, from sign that was out near the road, we went way back in and figured out spots on the map. And uh, where I went, there was absolutely nothing. It was a ghost town of deer tracks. And I was going to try and make a break for the truck and maybe get in someplace behind uh, the cutover or something and just try to save the day. Mm-hmm. And I ran into a giant elk shed. Yeah, it, it was off of a really big bull. Yeah, a little chewed up, but it was a. It's funny because I was looking at my uh, my phone, mapping my way out, and I stopped and I'm staring at the screen, and in the background, right at my feet, I can see this shed, and it's right where me and Eric had walked through there. Yeah, so uh, it it was a real dark shed too, so you could mistake it as a log as a or, or something. Yeah, correct. a log. That thing would be more of a, like a log. So I strapped that to my backpack or to my tree stand. And I took it to the truck and I hid it in the truck. And uh, <laughs> I didn't tell these guys nothing. You know, I wait till we were to camp. And then I uh, I let Eric know. And I told him to distract Josh and get him to tell everybody about his shed. <laughs> and we had Josh telling everybody about his shed he found. And I hid that thing behind my back. And I walk up and I go, you call that a shed? And I pulled up the monitor. <laughs> it, was a, it was a big shed. Uh you all did me anyways, because then you found a whitetail shed, too. So. Yeah, I got them here. I have a picture of them. Kevin sent me a bunch of pictures. Not a bunch, a few pictures. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, from the week, he's really talented with a, um, with a camera. Yeah, he with is. a camera. Yeah. Here you go. You can see there's the sheds we found. There's a pretty nice whitetail shed I found actually. Um, yep. it's pretty funny. Kevin's like, he goes, man, you've been here for three days and you found more sheds than I have my entire life out here. <laughs> so he's like, if you find one more, you're tied with me. So yeah, you can see there, Dan's is all chewed up, but 
I like mine better. It's all nice, and I can decorate with it here in the house and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, it was cool though. I, and I was gonna, I was gonna say, um, let's stop sharing my screen here. Something that kind of threw me off is the amount of elk. Like I did not expect that at all. I didn't even think about elk. To be honest with you, up there, someone mentioned like, "Oh, there's some elk up there," and I was thinking, "Okay, yeah, there's probably, you know, a few here and there. Probably won't even see a." see signs of them. I expected it, was, it to be like they are in Wisconsin where there's, you know, it's rare to see one, but you'll see the tracks, you know. Yeah. Right. That, the is, sign up there for, from elk was incredible. Everywhere you look, there's trees torn apart and it was yep. insane. Yeah. I was telling Kevin, we had, we did a little podcast while we were up there. I was like, it, it's a kind of a burden to have them around. Like they kind of, they leave too much sign. Like it's just, there's stuff everywhere. And especially if you're like, um, if you were a new, new hunter trying to go up there and kill a whitetail or something, like it'd be confusing as heck for people. Um, even us sometimes were hard. It was like, is this a, is this deer sign or is this elk sign or, you know, um, especially like the, um, the cow scat on the ground and stuff. Sometimes it looked like deer scat and, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, it was kind of, it was kind of cool having them around, but I could see how it'd get frustrating. You know, and the rubs were pretty questionable at some points as well. Yeah. It was amazing that they rubbed so low on a tree. Mm-hmm. It's such a big animal. Um, they weren't all like that, but it no. seemed like the smaller elk rubbed real low. Um, but what would give them away was the tines would be broken off or uh, the little branches would be broken off and, and scarred into the tree higher than you could reach. And you're like, yeah, I don't think a whitetail did that. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have rubs at uh, a foot off the ground and then all the way up to eight feet off the ground. <laughs> There'd be stuff broken off and whatnot. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that last day, I didn't I didn't think I ever told you guys this, but I uh, I went to town and get some ice in the cooler. And then uh, on the way back, I was traveling through some of the hill, hill country. You know, it's very minimal hill country. But I stopped in there and I'm like, I'm going to just go up on this ridge and see what's going on up there. And it was kind of a ghost town up on in the hills. It seemed like, um, there's a quite a few white oaks and not a single, I never saw one, um, acorn on the ground. There was all dried up or old, old acorns. So, um, yeah, I was kind of hoping to get into a little honey hole as I was driving in, but then, yeah, I, uh, the, that last sit, you guys were, you know, sitting where you sat at and I ended up I found a uh, private crop field, and there's not a lot of crop fields up there, and it was a cornfield. And uh, I thought, I'm just going to look at that cornfield, and then I'm going to pick the like the the best bedding area I could find, uh, not too far from that cornfield. And it was it was far. I ended up having to walk like a, a mile and a quarter to get to it. But um, there was a remote swamp back in there, and when I got in there. I got to, I thought this looks like the best point on the island for the wind I was, I had that evening. And there was some giant whitetail rubs. I didn't see any signs of elk there. Um, giant. I mean, there was giant from around there. You know, they were waist high. They were n- nice ones. Um, and then there was two great big beds. One was like farther in the mouth of the point, And then there was one at the very end of the point. And he wasn't laying there when I went in, you know, the beds weren't, they were, they were worn down, but they weren't warm or anything. It's not like I just jumped him up, 
Um, I ended up sitting there that evening. And as I was putting my camera uh, away and like lowering my stuff down, um, you know, big deer walked down the trail, like 20 yards of the one I set up on, but I couldn't tell what it was. The grass was, you know, taller and with the low light, I couldn't really see, but something came in that evening that looked very, um, would have been real interesting if it came in earlier, but it was too late anyway. And, uh, yeah. And that, that spot ended up being, we, I didn't know this at the time, but it was the same area where Kevin shot his buck, uh, earlier, Kevin from latitude outdoors. He, he shot his, that six pointer. Uh, but he, he was sitting up close to the crop field. He wasn't very far off the private crop field where he shot his. I thought he was closer to camp. No, I, I kind of remember him talking about that now. Yeah. It's pretty close to camp, Dan. It's only like maybe two miles from camp, the drive, two or oh, three miles. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. You know, we, we would go eat, we'd go eat breakfast. It was mm-hmm. on that, one of those roads we take right there. So it wasn't, wasn't that far from camp. Uh, it just took me a long time to get back to the truck because I walked so far back in there. Is the only reason I got back late. Um, but that was a good set. I, I had I felt pretty confident when I was setting up there that I was going to see something. But so you know, so I, that's the thing. I mean, on a four day hunt in a place we've never been before, and I think some of those other guys have been there before. Um, yeah, like Kevin, yeah, Kevin for sure because our our host because that's his area. That's why he invited. Yeah. But uh, when we go there blind never having been there before and wanted to you know explore and figure things out for ourselves um by the time you get on them in four days it's time to go home yeah you know um, you were just getting into the deer i was just getting into the deer eric was just getting into the deer and then it's time to go home yep eric you had a good last set you saw a bunch of deer yeah i saw a few i uh i kicked one up on my way in and uh shortly after that um it would have been an hour I was sitting or so. I saw three of them um, leave what I assumed to be the, their bedding area. And then uh, another while later, I saw four more get out. And then I had two come in pretty close within 30 yards of me. And the doe, it looked like she spot, she spotted me a little bit. Didn't So I know she didn't scent me, but she turned around and kind of walked away. So... I don't know if I was a little bit skylit, what it was, but something didn't feel right for her. So, but uh, yeah, I, I probably ended up seeing, I think it was like 10, 10 doe that evening. So, yeah, that seems like a lot of deer, you know. <laughs> you know uh, that's another thing is I, I saw they had an abnormally uh, skewed uh, population. There was a lot of does per buck. And that Every was deer crossing the road, there'd be like 10 does of one buck or something. Yeah, that was something I was just going to mention. I don't remember who we were talking to. I think it was Kevin with Deer Hunter Podcast. Um, He said the buck-to-doe ratio uh, is like 20 to 1. And it's surprising because they give away uh, unlimited doe tags, I think. You just buy them over the counter as many as you want. Right. 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know what it is for residents. It's just 20 bucks. 20 bucks, yeah. All you Mm -hmm. want. Well, I think you could buy ten. I think you get up to ten, which that's a lot. I mean, you yeah. just gotta buy. That's pretty much you all know. you can you want. Yeah. Right. Right. And the two bucks. Um. But yeah, I don't know. I had a good time though. It was fun to. I never hunted like kind of that ter- type of terrain, so it was a good experience. I thought. Every time you do it, hunt like that, you grow. 
Yeah. You learn yeah. more, you understand more. It actually, people don't realize that, but it, it helps you in every terrain because you learn things about that terrain that'll help you everywhere else you go. Every time you try something different. So I'm yeah, wondering sure. if that, I'm wondering if that buck to doe ratio might start to get better because uh, last year, I don't want to say it was the first year ever, but last year was the first year in a long time anyway that they're allowing um, those to be taken with with uh, uh, rifle. Um, hmm. So you know that might that might change things in the future here too. You know that might make the ratio a little closer. Yeah. One of them was also telling me like, uh, not that long ago, you had to actually draw, you had, you said to draw to get a doe tag. Um, yeah, I started Michigan three or four years ago, so it may have been before that. Yeah. So, I don't know how long ago this was either. Uh, and they also, this is the first year you had to actually call in your deer, you know, and tag mm-hmm. it or call it in. You always had to tag it, but, um, before you never had to actually call in um so and it seems like they're seems like they're trying to do some different things michigan wise yeah um i don't know it seems like i know indiana back in the day used to be a two buck state and uh very similar to michigan set up and i know once you know this has been 20 years 25 years ago when they changed the rules but that seemed like a lot of people said that one buck thing really um improve things around here, which I'm sure it did. It just takes a while, you know, it's not something that just happens overnight, but it's hard, it's hard for a state to do that too. Cause you get so much kickback from people who like shooting deer, you know, I want to shoot one. With oh yeah. Oh, and you know, yep. And it just, it just depends on what, it, what a guy wants, you know, I mean, I don't, it's all right to, I mean, some people like, uh, shooting two buck, two small bucks and a bunch of does and they're happy and that's great. You know, you can go do that in Michigan. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know what the answer is up there. I thought it was it was fun. I thought, uh, if I remember correct, uh, Indiana's doe tags were outrageous for a non-resident too. They're bad this year, like two hundred and eighty bucks or something like yeah, that. Wow. For they can't expect any non-resident to buy a doe tag for that. So. No, they also took away our. We used to have a late season doe, um, where you could shoot shoot them with a rifle, like in January. Like they mm-hmm. added a week to season the end of season it was just doe only and any weapon you wanted they took that away this year too so in our state uh, they take away weeks they take away prime bow hunting weeks and add rifle weeks for does yeah this was just the tacked on to late bow season or whatever um you could actually still get you could buck hunt you know you could have to use a bow though uh but i don't know yeah you guys, have you guys always, Dan, had like the two bucks other than your CWD era there? Did you guys, have you guys always had a buck in a bow season, a buck and gun season? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The the does uh, are, are way different now. I mean, when I was growing up, you uh, you didn't have doe tags. You could uh, apply for a party permit with gun mm-hmm. um, to get a doe permit for your party. In a group of 13, they'd give one to one person if you're accepted. And uh, prior to that, there was no does allowed to be hunted. Um, and uh, with bow, it was either or. I mean, you could shoot a doe with your bow or a buck. So most people would hold out for a buck, obviously. Hmm. Uh, 
But uh, that that was probably back in the day though when there was not as many deer, right? Correct. Yeah. Way back, yeah. Because I remember, I think my dad said when he started, I think it was buck only in Indiana too. Uh, but that was, you know, probably in the seventies. North to uh, go to where it's deer rich and nobody hunted in the southern part of the state. I shouldn't say nobody, but hardly anybody. And uh, now it's just kind of flip flopped where the southern part of the state's got all the deer and up north ain't got crab. Now that Dan, you've hunted like the. Uh... I don't know exactly where you guys were for the public land challenge, but you were you're farther south than what we were, right? You were in Michigan, were pretty far, yeah, in we were, Michigan. We were in Central Michigan when we did the challenge. You know. Okay. Um, is there a pretty significant difference from, to, from where you guys were to where we were at? As oh far yeah, as it was deer? great hunting. I mean, it was um, I was in deer like crazy um, uh, in the antler restriction areas. You know, you saw some pretty good bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw some really good buck sign. I was on good bucks. Um, and then when I got, uh, more towards the, uh, Eastern side of the state and got up against, the uh, the crotchety, the thumb crotch or whatever you call yeah. it. Um, I had, I had a hunt where I had like 27 deer go by one hunt. I mean, and, uh, Jeez. I think 11 of them, 11 of them were bucks. Yeah, the biggest one was a spike. The smallest one was a spike. Yeah, <laughs> but, right. but it, was, uh, it was pretty crazy the number of deer um, over there and how much uh, how much it was like hunting back home. I actually felt like um, the hunting was a little better there than it was here, with the exception of we got a little better genetics. So um, a two or three year old buck is a little bigger here than there, yeah. but getting on them it wasn't that difficult over there um but at the same time while we were hunting they had um record flooding over there and when we were looking at swamps and stuff the swamps flooded and all the deer were on the limited high ground that was left and uh so it was pretty game rich probably a little more than usual so maybe uh maybe i saw a skewed version You mentioned uh, antler point restrictions. I was going to ask you what what are your thoughts on those, and do you think they they work uh, for states? Well, it's kind of crazy to me that a three point restriction on one antler could work, but I guess if everything spikes and people are shooting them, it would. I do think uh, restrictions can help. Um, I know I, I didn't like it too much when they had the CWD thing going on and they're giving tags to shoot any deer because I just felt there was a safety issue there. I like the fact when a, when a hunter has to actually identify what he's shooting, like it, it has to fall within a certain range. It, you, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's good or it's bad or whatever, but um, if all you have to do is see Brown and shoot it, that doesn't make things too safe. Um, but if you if you um, if it has to have three points or it has to have a fork, that's a lot safer. However, I do think antler restrictions work. Um, what I don't like about them is you can have uh, an awfully big genetic freak that doesn't have the tines. Like yeah. I can remember when I was young having a um, seeing a four pointer that had uh, like coke can bases and it was like twenty inches wide and all it was was a big fork. Yeah, 
it'd be a shame not to be able to hunt and shoot a five or six year old deer like that. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I've seen six pointers going to one thirties. Oh, 130 inch sixes is, is gigantic. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it would be a shame not to be able to shoot something that, that and let it go around breeding. Right. Um, but uh, that's where it has its downfalls, but it does generally help with the age class. It does help get bucks to an older age class. I think education would help more. I think uh, in a lot of cases, if you can get through to the public about what they're shooting and why they should hold out, it might help more. But some guys just have to shoot something, I guess. Uh, I once hunted at in Illinois at um, Panther Creek um, public land. And man, there was giant bucks running all over the place. I almost shot a booner on that hunt. I came really, really close. And uh, what they had going was there wasn't any rules like antler restriction rules, but you had to go meet the biologist in order to hunt there. You had to go talk to him. I don't know if they still do this. This is a long time ago. But the, the biologist would lay out antlers and he'd say, well, this is the age classes and we'd really prefer you hunt, you shoot these and above and if you've never shot a deer before and you want to shoot one smaller okay but really this is what we're looking for if you're an advanced hunter who shot a deer or two look at look at shooting something like this because we're trying to grow bigger animals nobody wants to shoot babies you know they want to shoot mature animals so um if you shot a deer you had to take it back to that guy and register it which would be pretty embarrassing you know if you shot a little dink um so i thought that that seemed to work really well at that place where they didn't restrict it where a kid or something couldn't shoot one or you you know where it's always like some sort of lock solid law or something you know where i yeah right yeah i just don't like the i don't like the fact that uh um you know the kind of the government telling you how you can hunt and all that stuff. That's yeah. the only thing that kind of bothers me about them. Yeah. There's, uh, there's people that hunt for meat and you know, people yeah. with, with where their religion tells them not to, uh, not to hunt bigger animals for pride, like for showing off. Yep. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. You know, um, but the law is kind of funny that way. I, I do think too, it's, it's always been ironic to me, all these guys that, preach you should shoot bucks like me because then we'd all have bucks like the ones i shoot to shoot well then your bucks wouldn't mean nothing the reason yeah. that the, the the trophy you shot the other day is, is a, a great accomplishment is because there's not a lot of them around mm-hmm. you know if you managed it so that those were really common well then you just have to raise your stakes higher yeah you know, just, that's a good point you, you know i'm i'm just saying that Really, you should just worry about number one and worry about yourself. And if it's hard to kill a buck like that, that just makes it more of a challenge and is what it is. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, if every place was like Iowa, who cares about a 150? You know, it's like um, everybody, every, every place would have that stigma of, you up, you better shoot a 150 every year, you know, and right. what's, the fun, what's the fun in that? Uh, so that's a good point, too. No, Michigan's cool. I'm glad it exists. It's a, uh, I'd never been a part of a deer camp like that either, really. Uh, like a Michigan traditional deer camp. Um, 
with that many guys and whatnot. So got to, got to try out our new tent too. That was pretty sweet, huh? It that was, was a cool setup. <laughs> I got what was great is it was up when I got there. I didn't have to do any work. Yeah. And I just drank monsters and sat around while you guys took it down. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. We were zipping up the zipper on the bag and Dan's like, oh, you guys need any help? <laughs> <laughs> no, I got a white duck. It's called a white duck wall tent. It's like a 12 by 14. It's it's pretty nice. Uh, what was it, like maybe 30 at night? up there the, the trick was yeah. to just stack as much wood as you could into that into that uh, uh what do you call that that furnace thing that wood stove yeah, wood stove yeah. Why, what what happened with hard oak as tight as you can get it and then you lock up all the windows you zip down the door <laughs> and then you then you roll up in your blankets yeah. and get warm yeah dan dan couldn't make up his mind in there we we got in there and it was cold you know and he's like golly get this thing so i'm sweating i want to be sweating laying in my sweat and i'm like oh god then we got her up to we got her up to about 120 in there yeah. and then dan's like jesus guys it's it's too hot in here <laughs> open the windows the windows were open the door was open but what's funny about that is then by the time it started to cool down we all fell asleep yeah, and, uh, I had woken up, and it must have been. I mean, it was whatever the temperature was outside. So like now, 33, yeah. now it's thirty <laughs> degrees inside of the tent, <laughs> and we're shivering, and, you know. And then we stoked the wood back up, and uh, it was that was funny too. The worst, the worst part is, uh, you you know, um, with three guys in there. You, you know, uh, when it could get cold, all of a sudden you'd hear a squeak and then you'd get hit by a warm blast of air and the furnace ain't on. And you're like, oh, man, Eric's farting again. Fart all night long. <laughs> what did you say, Dan, with the hot, the hot and cold temperatures? You were saying something about our stuff rusting inside of the tent. <laughs> yeah. as, much as, as much as that temperature swing was, dude, <laughs> it had to be over. There had to be steam coming off of that tent. All the other guys <laughs> sleeping in their cars around us had to be like, uh, wondering what was going on. That that first time we fired that thing up, the chimney looked like a tractor pool uh going on in there just blowing smoke up the uh, throwing yeah, flames didn't, out of the top didn't of it. the screen on it either and then i know we've got outside, also i see all these like hot ashes with flames off and landing on top of the tent i'm like uh i don't think that should be happening no, what's, what's funny is is we knew we forgot to put the screen on the first day we never put it on no we also well it was the the well it was i shouldn't say that but we didn't put it on then because we had the pipe hot we had yeah, already started the fire so we couldn't get we couldn't touch it yeah. you know yeah. uh we don't really have an excuse the next day we could have probably taken it <laughs> off and putting it on but we kept her calmed down a little bit so it wasn't yeah, blowing yeah. sparks off the that's the first thing when jason came to camp he's like oh you should probably get a uh a spark arrestor for that thing he's like you'll put holes in your tent and I'm like, yeah, no, uh, I got one. We just didn't put it on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jason came up and uh, and uh, actually uh, took time out of his schedule to help you with that dough, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he lives about an hour from where we were at. Jason Simkoviak of the Traditional Bowhunter and Wilderness Podcast. He he came up there and we butchered the the dough, and um, he was on the pod. He, him and me, him and Kevin did a podcast together. That's who the three. Kevin did a bunch of podcasts with like just groups of people. And that was our, our uh, couple people there we had on. So yeah. Yeah. Shout out to him for helping out with that. 
Um, he's also like, he packs out, he's packed out a lot of deer and I've only packed out a couple. Um, so it was cool to like, see his method of taking a deer down to get it into a packable, um, you know, uh, like you put in a pack or something. He, he did it a little different than I'd been doing it and his, his way was definitely better. So it was actually a pretty good learning experience for me. I've cut up probably a couple hundred, you know, on a, hanging them up and cutting them up, but only a couple laying on the ground. So. Um, yeah, it was a good time though. Anyway, you guys want to talk anything else about Michigan? We've been on here for an hour now, so I thought we would get into some questions. Take the questions. Okay, here we go. Let's see here. Zeke outdoors. He said he may be sleeping. Uh, but he asked it early here. What, at what age do bucks start following mature style patterns? He says, I see a lot of two and a half year olds and some three and a half. And they all, they are all over the place. Yeah. Uh, that's a hard question. I guess deer like people, I mean, you got some that are immature and some that are mature. I mean, I've been on, uh, on cushy managed properties, like, you know, and, uh, seen five-year-olds act like, uh, you wouldn't see a fawn act like on public. Uh, maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but like you wouldn't see a year and a half old act. Um, and I guess there's every variation in between. And I, I think that the variations are probably based on life experiences, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, why would it be so much different, right? From public to private to managed, you know? I think, uh, I think it has to do with, um, you know, the pressure that's on them. You can get they can get pretty smart at two in some places. That's for sure. You, you know, um, when I look at, uh, most of the mature bucks I've taken on public land, when you look them over close, you find projectiles in them, you find, uh, wounds in them. You see where there's, you know, arrow holes through their ears and crap. Um, those deer live a rough life, you know, and they learn some, some valuable experiences. So, to, um, it varies greatly from deer to deer, I think. That's a good answer. Okay, here is a, another one from Alex. He's he's from East Wisconsin Hunter. Uh, he's having two to four bucks coming and hitting scrapes and doing light sparring in the food plots. Is it common for bucks to still be on their bachelor group early in October? Uh, I wouldn't say that that's common that they might just be traveling together near each other, but they should be probably, uh, start to get pretty ornery towards each other, uh, pretty quick here, but I'll see, uh, groups of bucks come out occasionally together, you know, all the way up until, you know, probably mid or late October when they start getting more serious about breeding. I had, uh, two decent bucks come out uh, together yesterday. I mean, they do that. Yeah. I, I pretty regularly, like he's talking about in food plots. Like I have two food plots and there's pretty regularly multiple bucks in the food plot. Yeah. Um, I don't think they actually bed right together, maybe in the same area near each other, but it's not like they're bedding together, like in a bachelor group. Right. 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 No, I don't think so either. Um, And like he said, they're kind of acting on usually too. They're usually like, 
not okay with each other being there. They're doing some sparring, running each other around, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. um, I know last year, like on the 2nd of October, I had uh, three bucks come out of the same bedding area, though. Uh, and two of them were nice ones. Two of them were pretty good bucks. So it probably just depends. Mm-hmm. It probably depends yeah. on the per- personality of the bucks, too, you know. I'd say the ones that want to be alone are probably alone and the ones that are a little more comfortable um, stick together or something. I don't know. You have a wide variety of um, deer actions, you know, throughout the season, like yeah. you some rut activity outside of rut, you know, um, that spot where uh, me and Eric were hunting in the last video where uh, he passed the spike. Um, I went back up in there and, uh, on October 1st, I had a, a big buck chasing a doe. On October 1st, a lone mature doe with no fawn. He was chasing her on October 1st. Hard. Yeah. that was. I thought that was pretty interesting. But you see stuff like that every now and then. Okay, we got a call in here. Oh, I forgot to. Uh, yeah. My wife and my boy are coming to Battle of the Bows, too. They're going to be our camp host. So, Matty put on here. I know Maddie put on here. Don't forget Maddie. Uh, Maddie and Huck are going. So, uh, Maddie, the one who straightened you out on that. Yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just now reading through the comments, so I got, I got to real deep at our conversations here, so I'm way behind. But all right, we got a call, and this will allow me to get caught up on comments here. So, um, what's up, guys? Hello. Hey, Jacob. Hey, Jacob. Oh, you guys are gonna have to excuse me. I'm really sick. My voice is kind of going here. So if my voice cracked, try not to laugh too hard here. You're good. Um, Dan, Eric, Josh, when you guys are going to a new place, you're doing a challenge like this, you're usually getting on them towards the end of it. Um, so I assume you're kind of going in and breaking down as much as you can until you start finding fresh sign. And then you're using that sign in association at betting and working deeper. Are you <clears> – I know – there's a point in which you determine that you're close enough to betting that you want to set up. But once you've done one of those setups, are you kind of discounting that area as you've intruded on it, that deer wasn't in there for that day? Or do you stage hunt it where you're starting to see what you like? And then you hunt it maybe the furthest back variation. And then the next day you're working in closer and closer. So are you getting out on the last day because you've eliminated so many areas and now you're on the last one. That's the most promising or are you on it because you've worked deepest into the area and now you're where the deer are truly at in it? So um, there's probably a great variation to the, to the answer to that. Um, I think my <coughs> first answer would be I, w- I would try to dive in and hit the right spot the first time and the area is burned. Um, but a lot of times you misread it because you haven't been there before and you don't go in deep enough. You see nothing and you know, those deer are there somewhere and you just try to relocate them and you keep moving. And, uh, that's how we progressively got onto, to a better sign. Um, but technically you try to dive in and hit it right the first time and then just move on to the next, next spot. If it doesn't work, um, at least that's my take on it. How about uh, you, Josh? When I'm out of state, like on an out of state trip, I'm probably overly aggressive. I don't think I'm overly aggressive. I, I may be overly aggressive to some people, but um, 
I pushed my limits because like on these like four day trips, sometimes doing an observation sit or, or not pushing in, like you, okay, you could do an observation sit where you're not going to booger up anything, but like if you're just sitting back on the trail farther than you think you should, like that deer is probably going to get there eventually and smell you. And then the odds of seeing him the next day probably go down quite a bit. So I, I always pushed my, my limits and it's hard for me to tell you like how I know where I'm at as far as my limits go. It's like, you just got to read the sign, read the, the terrain. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'll be on on X. Like, okay, I think this buck's bedding here and I'm, I'll, I'll mark off like a hundred yard section and like, okay, this is, I, I'm going to try to get to this or 70 yards, 50, just depending on the terrain and how, how much cover is there. But, mm-hmm. and, and honestly, um, um, the, the spot where you killed that doe, you read that better than I did. There was so much sign around this logging road and it didn't look like very many people were getting in there. I thought those deer couldn't be coming from far. We're on swamp edge. So I just moved back into where they were, um, looked like they're staging into what we were looking at. And, uh, me and Eric set up like that and we saw nothing. Um, but when we dove into where you wanted to start at, then you started seeing deer. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So there's different ways to read it. And I might've been right, but in that case I was wrong. And uh, Josh was right. Um, But that doesn't mean it's going to be that way the next time. Right. It's -hmm. just, uh, I do agree totally that you've got to push that envelope on a four day hunt. You have to try and hit it right. The first hunt that you go in. I mean, you got four days to get it done. You ain't going to do it by uh, doing observation sits and stuff. Um, if I sit in a position to see something, it's also going to be a kill position on four day hunt. What, what, what was your thoughts on that, Eric? That's an interesting you know, question. I, I really agreed with what Josh said, as far as, you know, on a four day hunt, you have to go in and you, you have to be aggressive. Um, you know, and Josh made a good point about, uh, if you're sitting far back, that buck has a chance to come out and, and pick up on your scent trail. Now, I think if you push the envelope, if you're being smart about wind and entering that bedding area, even if, if, if he hears something, if he if he just catches a glimpse of you and he's out of there, you still have a shot to get back in there that next night, you know, and get right after him. There's a chance that he could be there as long as he didn't scent you. Um, and that's I think that's where it really pays off, where you have to be aggressive. So... Yeah, look if at my buck. I killed Nebraska. I mean, that's exactly what happened. To it. Exactly. I mean, right. he didn't send me. I had the the only reason I went in there is because the wind was blowing right <coughs> in my face, away from him. 
but he saw me, you know, I, I, or he, he heard me or whatever he did, but that wasn't enough to keep him from coming back in there the next evening. That's what happened with, with Jake Bush, like his 186 or whatever the heck he killed in Ohio. That's, that's how he did. He saw a sign at the last second and decided he was not enough deer and, and bumped it and came back on the same wind and killed it. Um, do you have time for one more small one? Cause Eric touched on something that I wanted to. Yeah, go ahead, man. We're good. We don't have anybody else calling in right now. So, okay. Yeah. Eric, um, like you said, um, going in with the wind kind of at your advantage, a lot of time where I'm here in hill country, it's like you're expecting a lot of betting on transitions that coincide with points. So like there'll oftentimes here be at one point, a secondary drop off, and then the actual one that the buck will be on. And I'll spend a lot of time making sure I'm not bumping the does off of this primary one. Mm -hmm. But I've had a lot of success on buck appearances this year when the wind was just almost blatantly terrible for me to access there without bumping something. But I had to rely on some tiny hinge of a thermal to pull it down or some small wind switch that was going to occur. If you guys are giving the deer so much of an advantage that, you know, it would make sense for them to be there in these pressured areas. How are you kind of avoiding that, that access? Like, how are you knowing where you can get away with scouting if you haven't had any experience with the thermals in the area or anything like that? You know, for me, I'm just going to go in there and I'm going to give it a sit. And I know Jacob, you put a lot of miles on and you do a lot of scouting. Um, so Go in and give it a sit and, and and give it your best shot. Give it your best opportunity. And you know what? If you blow it, you got another spot to hunt, right? Yeah, that's what I did today. <laughs> I totally yeah, blew it. Happens. It happens to all of us. Just yeah. get out there and just just do it, you know? Yeah. I mean, for me, that's that's my simplest answer. It's you gotta take the risk, you know. No, that's um, right. With the so hill country is pretty readable though. I mean I mean, once you get used to it, I mean the thermals do what, what they're gonna do. Um, yeah. you, in a lot of those situations, you've got to kick satellite deer out, especially in game rich areas and you're, where you're at is game rich. Yeah. Um, you are not hunting where you need to hunt if you're not kicking some deer out of there. So you just oh, do absolutely. it early, get them out of there and climb up your tree and you, you know, you try to, you try to do it where you don't surprise them too. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> there, there's actually some hunts where I actually try not to sneak too sneaky in because I know I'm going to kick deer. And if they hear you coming a little bit, they just get up and leave. It's a lot better than you walk up to 10 feet from them and, and uh, scare them. They run out of there blowing and screaming and uh, take everybody with them. I'd rather yeah. they just got up and hopped off, you know. Um, there's times to sneak and there's times to just walk in. And... Oh, my God. This uh -oh. <laughs> what the heck is going on? Here's that, uh, here's that boss again. Yeah. <laughs> Did your boss call him? <laughs> I had an incoming phone call, yes. I didn't uh, expect it to shut everything down. So, no Josh, worries. you take a similar approach there. Just, I assume. Yeah, and I think. Aggressive. Right. I think. Um, I mean, that's why I have so many dang spots. Like, people ask me, like, where do I hunt? And it's like, that's a that's a broad question. You know, like, I have right. spots from the southern portion of Indiana to. Indianapolis, you know, that I've, I've hunted and, and, and would feel confident hunting. So yeah, I think that's, that's why we have so many of those spots so you can get that, be aggressive and, um, yeah, more times than not, you screw it up, man. I mean, there's only a few times a year that it works out, you know, so. I would uh, rather screw it up and see a nice buck than not be close to seeing a nice buck at all. 
Like right. I would rather know that I scared one out of the area and at least know that he was there and I was correct. Yeah. than like just put myself out of position. I had this crazy thing happen these last few days that we had like really high south winds. I have a lot of like north facing points. And, you know, when you have like those ridge systems that have those two points and the second one is the final one that drops down every once in a while, there'll be like kind of a clearing on the beginning of that bench that leads into the next point. And I've had it where you could count like a 20 second delay where the wind would flip absolutely 180 degrees and come north. So it was like a thermal tunnel, but it was like a giant scale. Like it would be like 100 yards long hmm. and you could count like 20 seconds. A big gust would go over your head and it would hit the treetops. And then it would come the complete opposite direction of the forecasted wind. Like the, the wind on the tops was going completely correct. And it would be just a giant tunnel when those high winds happen. And I've seen um, on those days, a lot of really good appearances from bucks when that, when there is kind of that clearing, but it's met with really thick cover. Cause it seems to almost like dampen, you know, if there's like gusts of wind that are like 30 miles an hour, it seems to almost dampen that wind in that area. So they can still hear things like around them, but it's like a crazy tunneling effect because there will be deer on the end of the ridge, you know, doing normal leeward bedding and these bucks will be able to smell above and below them so well. It's just such a, a giant little interesting area. It almost looks like they're bedding on the lower one third of the first ridge, but they're really just catching a crazy tunnel. So that's something I've been battling this year, but it's pretty cool mm-hmm. to learn. All right, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Good luck, man. I'm going to kill one tomorrow for you. So there you go. Be ready to head up to Wisconsin (laughs) early, Josh, and drag one out. There you go. See you, man. Good luck, Jake. All right. All right, here. We got another call in here. Let's see if Mike can get in. Can you hear us, Mike? Yeah, can you hear me? We can. We can hear you. (laughs) You got her figured out now, Mike. You got her figured (laughs) out. Took me a while, didn't it? Oh, that's all good. We're here. Um, uh, just to recap a little bit of your conversation before, I don't know about where you guys were in Michigan, but for the last two years where I'm at in Michigan, is quite a bit west of where you were, uh, we've had the last two years were hellacious crops of acorns, and this year they're pretty spotty. So I would guess that's probably what's going on over there. Usually our white acorns are pretty good size. There's it's no, you know, it's the red ones that give us that are small here, but uh and the, the i don't know about the east side of the state but on the west side of the state here we've got some antler restrictions and in some areas it's helping to get bigger bucks because a lot of guys have shot the first thing that shows up just because they're afraid if they don't somebody else will shoot it and i yeah. mean that's the mentality of a lot of guys yeah so a lot of your but, i'm am i wrong no, Mike, but, they got one extra tag so if you got two tags They'll shoot the first deer and then they'll wait for a big one on the second one, but they'll make sure well, some of them will wait for a big one on the second one. I mean, I, I know guys that fill tags for them, both their tags and their daughter's tags and their wife's tag and none of the deer are big. Yeah. Okay. So right. it's, it's depends on the individual. Yeah. Right. But uh, my, to get to my question, try not to hold this program up, but um. I've got into this spot where I told you it's uh, beaver dams. We've got it backed up. And uh, I've been in there with my stand on my back trying to find some good sign to set up on. So far, I haven't found any good sign. But I am finding uh, beds that the deer have been there all summer. 
And what it's looking to me like is these are entry points where the humans are navigating this country. And uh, now the, the beds obviously don't, it looks like they haven't been used in a month. They can't find a fresh hair in hardly any of them, but the, the bed is like wore down right to the dirt. I mean, the tufts of grass are, are flattened right out and there's nothing there. Um, would it be safe to think that uh, now that the human activity, maybe first part of September, like I was in there on a kayak, guys are starting to scout around and they've pushed deer out of that prominent bed, but the deer is probably still somewhere close at hand? Yeah, he's around there somewhere. I would agree. Yeah. So uh, another question I've got, uh, you talk about oxbows a lot. And uh, we got a lot of drainages in this country. Uh, and like close to home where I do a lot of hunting, uh, uh, we've got a lot of cricks with little tributaries that come into them. And where those tributaries connect to the bigger body of water, uh, as long as the terrain in there is correct, would that work like an oxbow? It could. Um, I mean, an oxbow is an oxbow, but I mean, if it makes a narrow path to it to for the deer to tr travel where the, you know, what an what makes an oxbow special is that uh, the deer knows where the danger is going to come from. That's why they like the bed there. So, I mean, if, if that creates like a, a point or a funnel of it's the same reason they like points, right? It funnels the danger right down the point, right? So um, if it works in that manner, yeah. Yeah, it'll work kind of the same way. Cool. Hey, Dan, well, how, how, I'm going to ask Dan a question real quick, Mike. Uh, can you, like, explain how deer use oxbows and how they set up on them? Well, they... they uh, I've seen them set up both ways where they have either the wind blowing into them and they bed up against the water and watch across the river and smell the opening. And I've seen them have the wind blowing towards the opening and they watch the opening and smell the water. Um, and, and on some oxbows, they bet on both winds and some of them, they just blow with the wind blowing in them. Um, depends on how they lay out for beds. Um, but you can generally, you can look at the beds and see what they're doing. Um, they're either smelling or, or they're watching that land bridge where the danger will come from. Uh, what ruins an oxbow is usually if there's boat traffic or coyote kayak traffic or something on the river quite a bit, even if it's like, uh, once every couple of weeks, I mean, that's probably too much for a deer to want to bed there. Um, but if it's a, a type of uh, Creek that's all cluttered and stuff and, or nobody really uses it for navigation of any sort. Um, those are the ones that generally have the best bedding on those oxbows. When you find these oxbows um, that, you know, you got a deer camp there fairly regular, is it pretty common that there's a crossing of, of the river right right there somewhere? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I found escape routes through the, through the, uh, through the river. And, and I've actually seen them go through deep water in there to bed. Yeah, I, I found an oxbow uh, brook trout fishing this year with a buck on it. And uh, later I went back later in the season, I went back. I was going to fish farther downstream from there. So I pulled into the same parking lot and there was a big group of people camping there. And I mean, after I found it and walked back to my truck from fishing, 
I realized it was right by a parking spot. Mm-hmm. And then later in the season, I was back in there, and there's a huge group of people camping there, and that buck bed couldn't have been 150 yards from their camp. So yeah. he, he was pretty comfortable there. Um, one, one more quick question, if I can. Uh, you talk about these, uh, you know, the the buck watching the spot, like these beds I talked about at first. Are some of them beds possibly does? Because, like, one I found this last weekend uh, – I don't, it was war right down to the ground and it's right close to a land bridge where humans are crossing, coming into this, one of these islands. Uh, he, it was set up. It wasn't set up for the wind. The deer was obviously watching the, you know, with its eyes was watching the land bridge. Uh, but there was a branch overhanging the bed and I just can't imagine a buck laying there and his antlers being stuck in that branch while he's watching, it seems like it'd be a problem to him. And, and in the past, many places like closer to home where I hunt, uh, I, I call them uh, more like a century bed. I know there's places where I've tried hunts different times and I know, I know I'm just don't have it quite right. So I push in a little farther, you know, some other time and, Turns out there's a doe bedded right there. And generally it's just a single doe and she's just in just far enough. She could hear me climb up my tree or set up where I was at, but I never knew she was there and she slips off and I don't see anything at night. So yeah, does that does bed in buck bedding areas or like Beck's bucks bed when they're alone or they're in very small groups, like a doe and fawns. Uh, it's when they're in larger groups that they, they bed in like circular fashion out further and, and that kind of thing. They come out of my buck beds quite often. Um, but to get more into what you were saying about that, like branch block and where a deer's antlers could be and stuff, that's part of your detective work. I mean, you look at the beds and you see what they can do. However, I would caution you into looking at spots that just have like one bed. I think out of um, all the bucks I ever shot, only one came from a spot that only had one bed. Um, yeah, almost all buck bedding areas, not all of them, but the majority of them have multiple beds. So you might get, uh, say 30 beds in a, uh, acre size area and they'll shift around from those beds. Now, some of those beds will be really worn. The ones that they use more and be yeah. a little more obvious, but, uh, a buck seldom lays in the same spot all day. They'll get up and they'll move based on the wind shifting around and stuff. And they'll bed in different spots. And there's generally more than one buck that beds there. So like if I put a camera on a bedding area, I'll get pretty much, if it's a really good bedding area, every buck in the area will bed in there. Kate every now and then they'll show up in that bedding area. Um, you know, I shouldn't say every buck because some bucks might have had a bad experience or they don't like the way it lays out. But the majority of the bucks in the area will use that bedding area, you know, and they'll use other bedding areas. And you might have a buck there for two, three days and then a different one comes in and you might have one that comes in once or twice a week or, you know, but there'll be time frames when they use them more. But, you know, um, look a little closer. There might be more beds than you're thinking. Well, I, I know there's I know there's more beds, but uh, uh, in some of these spots, the prominent bed is wore right to the ground. So it's pretty to me. I, that tells me that it's been laying there 
most of the summer or while the grass was trying to grow anyway, because all the grass around the bed is tall and the tufts of grass that were, that were in the bed are like been laid on so much they died. Mm-hmm. So, and, and yes, there are other beds, you know, a little ways down the dike or, you know, around the, around the same area on that knob or Island that you're on. But the, the dominant bed that you can tell that somebody has been laying there, you know, the better part of the summer, uh, they all seem to be in a place where they're, they're either uh, downwind, you know, like the summer beds, I would guess that they, the bed should be north of the human traffic so, so they can wind them. And not all of them are. Uh, so I'm in the one, the one that wasn't really wore to the ground, but it was a huge bed. It was round. And there were two beds, you know, about 10 yards from each other. Both had hair in them. And, uh, and one was real fresh. One had a lot of hair in it. That, that deer had been in that bed recently. Uh, they were on the wrong, they were not on the downwind side, but they were, if he picked his head up and looked over the ferns, he could watch that main river crossing easily. So what do you mean by not on the downwind side? So uh, for are you are you uh, saying that the wind never blows the other way? Well, no, but uh, most most of the southern summertime wind is southerly. Okay. And and I found this uh, the main river crossing that I found in this country. Uh, I found this big round bed. Well, what happened is I found this river crossing. I got on my kayak. I got up and poked around on the island, and I I followed the main deer trails across to a land bridge that crosses the other dike. So it's not just deer traffic; it's human traffic crossing across this part of the country. And uh, on my way back, walking to the kayak, I was thinking that first little knob right off the creek during the rut. I'll bet you that bucks would bed up close on that knob somewhere watching that river crossing and, so are, and that, from that knob from that bed they can see the river crossing they can see the trail coming from the river crossing they can't see the crossing itself the but it's set up perfect because they don't they don't wind it then right they're either doing one thing or the other they're either watching it or they're smelling it right. so if they can see the crossing the wind should be coming from the other direction because they they're going to want to watch one way and smell the other so if they're watching the crossing, the wind should be at their back. They should be smelling what's behind them. And watching the crossing. Correct. Yeah, okay. So then the wind is is, is correct. Gotcha. They, 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 won't, they won't bed in a way where they're uh, watching and smelling the same direction and leaving their back vulnerable. Right. I know. I just, I just kind of, I guess I kind of thought that they would... Um, want to be downwind so they could smell the hot does coming across that crossing but not necessarily that's even like a you'll you'll hear a lot of people say that you should hunt the like downwind side of doe bedding areas i find the upwind side being just as hot sometimes because the bucks are checking the trails going in and out for scent you know a lot a lot of things people say and people think are more myth than reality and you just got to take a look you got to you got to be that detective when you look at that bed and what's he doing here Think, think a, a buck really wants to smell what's behind him and see what's in front of him. Now, sometimes they'll get a bed and they'll just go in something really thick or wet where you have to make noise and it'll be a noise-based bed. You, you know what I mean? There's different yep. ways they bed. But if you've got any kind of open terrain, 
I can guarantee you he's he's in a spot where he can see one way and the wind is coming from another. And when they do that, they just about always put an obstacle to their back, whether it's thick cover, a down tree, or a rock. If it's a buck, they'll have something to their back, and then they'll be able to smell the wind from back there. So if something tries creeping in from behind, they'll smell it. And if something kind of comes creeping in in front of them, they'll see it. And if you ever watched a camera on a bed and you've seen how a buck beds, there's not very long during their sleeping period that they actually have their eyes closed. Most of the time, their head's up and they're watching. They'll put their head down for like five minutes, 15 minutes, um, but they don't really actually sleep very much at all. All right, Mike. Appreciate you calling in, man. Yep. Thank Thanks. you, guys. Keep yeah. doing what you're doing. Thanks. Thanks. Talk to you later, Mike. Bye. Let's do one uh, one more question from the chat, and we'll get off here. We've been on here for an hour and a half. So, All right. This is from Indiana Sportsman's. Um, he said, do you find areas with houses all around and human activity and sound of cars and things like that? Does wind have as much a, of an effect? I'm, in my mind, I'm kind of thinking of like, a, uh, you know, like housing additions and places, places like that, Dan. Well, I think you should answer this, uh, Indiana and you're from Indiana. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't hunt any of these places. I don't hunt any, uh, <laughs> any places with a bunch of houses and stuff. You don't? Well, I do. Um, <laughs> Here, here's the only thing I would I would assume, and this is just me, like I don't know, uh, watching guys like Seek One and places like that. Like I, I assume they'll tolerate all that activity in certain areas, and then once you get to a a point to where you're inside the woods or or uh, um, you know in their comfort zone, they probably start paying attention to the wind. So I, I hunt a lot of uh, places that are really rural. I've got, or at least I have in the past, um, where you're literally right around people. And uh, there's a spot right down the road here that's archery only that every now and then I go into. And uh, I get in there and there's one spot where there's a good bedding area. And I got to get, I got to creep in right along somebody's yard. And you feel a little creepy because you can see in their yard and see the kids playing and stuff. It feels a little weird, but you're on the public land, right? But those those people are um, usually not around, you know. You go out there when they're not around. I remember being out there, and their their kids are out in the yard playing and stuff, and running around. And uh, uh, a nice eight pointer come out, walk past, can smell them. The wind's blowing right from them. Pays no attention to all the noises they're making and everything, and hits my scent trail in the woods. Just freaks, gone. You know why? Because I'm where I don't belong. They're okay with those people in those yards because that's where they belong. It's where they expect them. It's when you when you creep into the areas where they live, and they live in areas where people don't go, even if it's right in the middle of these people. I mean, there's going to be even if it's just a quarter acre, half acre, little spot where people don't go. They'll live in that little spot, and as long as you don't go in that spot, they're good with it. And then you got to creep that spot to really kill them. You got to get on the edge of it. But uh, they will put up with those people, but they know if they catch your wind, they can pretty much smell where you're at. And they'll know if you're in that woods. They'll know whereabouts you're at, and they'll know if it's a problem. So, yeah, it, wind really matters in those situations. As a matter of fact, I kind of find that deer that are around people, 
seem to have them pegged a little better. Like they seem to understand people even better. And uh, they react to that wind even, even harder. Um, I get up in the Northwoods and stuff or get way away from people. And often you'll have deer smell you and they're kind of more curious. And they kind of check you out a little bit. Where uh, I don't see that in real heavily populated areas as much. Yeah, I think uh, we as humans or hunters, they we got to remember deer use their nose like we do our eyes. Like we can look and see, hey, that kid's in that yard or there's a hunter, you know, 50 yards from me. Whereas they can smell like, hey, that kid's in that yard or, oh, shoot, there's someone 50 yards from me. So right. anyway. It's the, it's the equivalent of if you walked out in your yard and there was a deer track in your yard, you'd be like, oh, oh deer, a deer walked through my yard. You walk yeah. in your living room and they go through your house. You're like, what the heck? Yeah, right, <laughs> right. You know, that's, you're walking through uh, their house. Buddy. All right. Look at this, guys. Check this out. Mark Hadley, he's from the UK on tonight. Oh, cool. Really? Cool. Yeah. He's asking what kind of deer we hunt. We hunt whitetails for the most part. Sounds like he's coming over here next year to hunt. Yeah, whitetails are just about anywhere you want to go in the United States. Yep. Um, there are some other deer like Sitka deer and, and mule deer, uh, mule deer and stuff, but those are more mule deer are more west and yep. uh, south and uh, black tails are out west, east. Yeah, mm -hmm. but white tails are just about everywhere. Yep. Cool. I got uh, my boss in my old job was from the UK from Stanford. Maybe you know him. His name's Nick Adams. He's hard to look up on Facebook though. So uh, anyway. All right, everybody. Don't forget to subscribe and and hit the like button. I think we'll we'll probably hop on. We're gonna try. We have internet at our campsite, so uh, we'll see how good it is. Maybe we'll hop on later on in the week or over the weekend, uh, one night, and talk about my buck on here. Um, see who else is in camp. Maybe so. Everybody, thanks for getting on. Sorry if we didn't get to your questions. We will next time, and talk to you guys later. See ya.